Good morning. Good morning. Did you recognize uh, the song that was just played during the offertory? Thank you to the pianist and organist for that beautiful offertory. People need the Lord. It just fits right in with everything this morning. So thank you for that. It's great to be back here once again in uh, Faith Elmhurst uh, Church. It's been a while. It's been almost five years, I think. Our field service, uh, we extended our field service a little bit, so it's been a while, but it's great to be back here. You know, uh, your congregation has been with us as partners uh, over a number of decades. I think it goes all the way back to the 1980s. And so it's, it's great to be back here with you again. Thank you so much for partnering with us through your prayers, your financial support, your encouragement. It, it really uh, is a great thing. And, and, you know, we couldn't really be continuing to do the work out there in Asia without you behind us praying and supporting us. So I just want to say thanks. Uh, yeah, there's a display table out uh, in the lobby. Be sure to take a look at that. I didn't put a sign, uh, take things, but you're welcome to take the things that are there. And I'll be around there, too, to chat with, with, uh, with any of you who want to talk a little bit more, especially about missions. So, uh, yeah, it's really good to be here with you. And uh, let's pause and ask God's blessing in prayer. Thank you, Lord God, so much for giving us your word. And thank you for giving us a message to bring to the world, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that you will be truly speaking to us this morning. We pray that you will open our ears to hear, our minds to understand, and uh, our, our hearts to truly receive your word implanted deep within us, and our lives opened up to really live it out by the power of your spirit. So Holy Spirit, we commit this time to you. Be working in us, speaker and listeners, O Lord God. May you be praised, may we be edified and strengthened, and may we be challenged also to be your faithful people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Luke chapter 15, and uh, here we have three stories, uh, all of them about something that got lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. And so we're going to look at this and, um, and try to see what, is it, what does it mean for us today. And I'm just going to read the center uh, story, uh, the, the short one about the woman who lost a coin. And actually, in each of these parables that Jesus tells, we're going to, uh, to look not so much on what was lost, but on who lost them and, and how they re really reflect the character of God. But we're going to first read uh, the first three verses of Luke chapter 15 so that we get the, the setting. Uh, why was Jesus telling these stories here? So Luke 15, verses 1 to 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, or actually three parables. We'll, we'll read the second one, verses 8 to 10. Or suppose, Jesus says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing 
in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, I want to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to tell these stories from the viewpoint of one of the disciples of Jesus, the, the disciple Thomas. Uh, we know about him, remember, after Jesus rose from the dead and, and he appeared to some of his disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. He said, well, I've got to really see him in person and I've got to be able to touch the, the holes in his hands and the, the wound in his side. So sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas. Um, so I'm going to let him tell us how he heard these stories. And uh, by the way, please don't call him Doubting Thomas. He's kind of sensitive about that. So, uh, so just leave that alone, okay? So yeah, this is a little bit corny. Maybe, uh, maybe it will remind you of uh, Clark Kent if you're about my age. But, uh, but yeah, here is Thomas. Well, my, uh, your preacher has asked me to tell you the stories that, uh, uh, that you know, uh, about these lost things. And uh, yeah, I want you to hear how I heard them in the first place. It was a huge privilege for me to be one of Jesus' original 12 disciples and go around with him and hear him tell these stories and do his miracles and heal people and, and you know, all those great things. So yeah, when, when we heard this story, you know, um, it was, it was really quite something. So there's this first story about this shepherd. And so the shepherd has 100 sheep, and he takes them out into the op open country to graze for the day. But one of the sheep wanders away and gets lost. So what is he going to do? He's really in a dilemma here. Uh, you know, he could, is he going to stay with the 99 or go after the lost one? You know, if he goes after that lost one, uh, you know, half of those 99 might wander around by the, wander away by the time he gets back. But this crazy shepherd, he, he takes that risk. He goes after that lost sheep, and he's lucky enough to find it, and lucky enough that when he gets back, all the 99 are still there. None of them have wandered away. And, and so he goes back home rejoicing about that. What a crazy shepherd, and yet so lucky uh, in that way. And then there's this this story about this, this funny woman. So she, she has 10 coins, she loses one, and, and what does she do? Well, of course, she searches her house every nook and cranny until she finds it. That's what I would do, too. But, you know, and then what does she do? She calls her neighbors and friends in to celebrate. Now, in our society, if you invite, you know, a few people, you've got to invite everybody. You can't just invite, invite some. So she's inviting her whole village, basically, over and if you are going to celebrate something, you have to, you know, produce some food and maybe have some good wine and, and kind of a feast there to celebrate. So you see what's happening. This woman is going to end up spending more on the celebration than on the value of the coin that she lost. And so, yeah, we all laughed at, at this funny woman, uh, so celebrative, going overboard and celebrating just finding that lost coin. So these first two stories were really knee slappers. We really laughed as we heard these first two stories. Now, the last story was not funny at all. In fact, you know, I really struggled as I heard this story, especially for the first time. You know, you have this, this son who demands that his father give him an, his inheritance ahead of time. And basically, in our culture, that's, that's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead already. I want my inheritance now. And, and 
what a, what a despicable son to do something like that. You know, in our society, he should be totally rejected and, and, and punished and not be called the son anymore. And then what does the father do? He gives in. He gives that son that inheritance and lets him go. Now I'm angry at both the son and the father, the son because of what he did, and the, and the father that he allows him, he lets him go. And so what does the son do? He goes out, spends that, that, that inheritance recklessly, and gets himself in trouble, uh, he gets very hungry, and then he's, he's so desperate, he makes up this thing that he's going to be very remorseful and so sorry and apologize, go back to his his father and, and ask his forgiveness and let him be a servant instead of a son. How manipulative. You know, you can't really believe that he's sincere in this, this supposed repentance. And so he does. He goes back. And not only that, what happens next? You know, the father, is, it seems like he's actually looking for this son. He's out there and he sees that son coming and he runs out to greet him. Now, in our culture, a middle-aged man should not even be running at all. He should be kind of just relaxing and let people serve him. And if, if some visitors are coming, just wait till they come and not go out to greet them. But here, this father, he runs to greet that son and, and hugs him, welcomes him, and, and brings him, him back home and says, yeah, you'll, you're my son again. And not only that, but throws this big celebration that he's come back. And so, you know, this story is really confusing. And, and you know, I, I admit, I was pretty angry at, at hearing this story. But there's one, one guy in the story that gets it right, and that's that older brother. You know, he, he says to his dad, well, you know, I've been serving you all these years, and you've not thrown any big celebration for me. So, yeah, that's kind of how that story ends up. But the father says, we've got to celebrate. Your, your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He's come back. Well, so, yeah, it was really hard for me to, to hear that last story the first time. But, you know, as we went from village to village with Jesus, he would tell these stories again. And, and over time, you know, I came to understand them better. And uh, I could understand about this shepherd. Well, he, he was kind of crazy and lucky, but... Yeah, that's how God is. God is willing to take great risks to, to reach out and save lost people. And this, this funny woman, yeah, she was going overboard and celebrating, but that's kind of how God is. He's just so joyful about people coming back and, and repenting and coming back into his family. And then this story about the son, I, I began to realize, yeah, that's, that's how God is. He's willing to be disgraceful like that father and, and welcome that son back. He's willing to go to that extent. Now, it took me a while yet to realize that, actually, I was like that older brother. You know, he didn't think he needed uh, his father's grace or blessing. And so, you know, I had to admit, I didn't really think, I thought I was a pretty good person. I didn't really think I needed so much grace from God. But over time, I really began to realize that. And and that opened me up to, to receive God's grace, too. And, and, you know, as time went on, all those things happened. You know, uh, it came to the time when Jesus had to suffer. He was arrested and, 
tried and, and persecuted and, and you know, punished so badly and, and crucified on the cross. And then I realized, yeah, it was, it was for me and for everybody, for our sins that he died. That's how great God the Father's love was that he would send his own son to reach out, to reach out and, and gather the lost sheep, all of us. And then, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he sent us out to go out and bring the gospel. And, and by that time, I, I, I got the idea, yeah, we were sent to go out and find lost sheep. We were sent to go out and bring people into God's family. And, and, and I went to, to a number of different countries. I went all the way to India to bring the gospel. And, and that's pretty far from Jerusalem. But that's how convinced I was that this is real and that God's grace and God's love is so real and that I had to go out and bring that message. So that's how Thomas heard these stories. At least I suppose that might have been how he heard them. And you know, actually, the story, the history goes that Thomas actually did go to India. The church in India today still traces its beginnings to the Apostle Thomas, uh, that he went there to bring the gospel. And so, you know, here in, in, in this one chapter, Luke 15, yeah, we see that shepherd taking great risks. We see the woman going overboard with celebrating. The father who was willing to go against the cultural values of his society to even get disgraced and, and welcome his son back again. And so my question for us this morning is, how crazy are we willing to be to go and, and reach the lost in our world today? That's a task that Christ gives us, to be his representatives, to go out and reach the lost. Are we willing to go to that extent and reach the lost today? And today I want to focus on especially what I call the lostest of the lost. I don't think it makes very good English. But, uh, but yeah, the lostest of the lost. And that's what we call the unreached people groups. What do we mean by unreached people groups? Well, first of all, a people group, uh, the way we, we define it in, in missions is it's a specific segment of population that is different from other groups by its language, ethnicity, history, religion, location, and or social cross social class. So they, they are identifiable different groups of people. So we have in one nation, we can have many people groups. In the Philippines, for example, we have, we have Cebuano-speaking people, Ilongo-speaking people. We have the Muslim people groups in, in Mindanao and so on. And most countries of the world have, have a number of people groups. And Jesus wants us to reach each one. Now, what do we mean by an unreached people group? That's a people group which has hardly been touched with the gospel. The, the gospel has not really reached them because of barriers. And so they have no opportunity to re really receive the gospel. It's not only that they haven't heard, they haven't even had a chance to hear the gospel. There aren't enough Christians in their people group, maybe no Christians, no churches, that can really reach out to them. And so people have to come from outside. Cross-cultural workers have to come into their people group to bring the gospel to them. And that's the big challenge that we face in our world. So where are these people groups? They're all over the world, but there are certain parts of the world where they are 
concentrated. So on this map, you see a lot of green, and those are places where there are many reached people groups. Maybe they're not all saved, not all Christians, but at least they have opportunities to hear the gospel. The red dots show where there are people groups that have not heard the gospel, have not been reached. And, and you can see certain parts of the world where they are, are con concentrated. Now, for us to really see and understand the need, uh, look at these statistics, and especially that pie chart there. You see the green is 10% is of the world's population, and these are those that are, are active followers of Jesus. That's us, I hope all of us, following Jesus in our world. And then there's that the yellow part, 22%, these are what we call nominal believers. They, they may be called Christians. Maybe they are, but they don't seem to be very active in really following Jesus in our world today. Then you have the blue. That's the 40%. These are people that have heard or at least have lots of opportunities to hear the gospel, but they have not said, said yes. They have not received Christ. They have not responded po uh, positively. And then there's the red. That's the 28% that we call unreached people groups that have virtually no exposure to the gospel, not even opportunity to hear it. And that's what I call the lostest of the lost. And so if we think of that need, those 28% those, uh, are, are in what we call the unreached people groups. Uh, so here we have an example. The northern Pashtun people of Afghanistan uh, 2.8 million people. Percent Christian was zero, now 0.01%. So you see there's been a change. Actually, uh, last year when I, I talked to some people about this, it was 0%. Then uh, more recently, I checked the statistics, and it's now 0.01%. So there's some progress there. That's really encouraging. At least there's somebody that's trying to reach this uh, large people group with the gospel. We'll look at a few more uh, examples of the, these people groups. The next one is actually a group in the U.S. Notice this is the same name, Northern Pashtun. That was the last one in, in Afghanistan. But now they, there are some of them in the U.S., not, not too far from us. 151,000 of these people are in the U.S. Still no Christians, apparently, among them. But at least they're near. They are within reach, in a sense. Another group, we have the Mahratta people of India, a Hindu people group, 31 million. Again, 0% Christian. And then the next one, we have the Kung people of Bhutan. Bhutan is a very small uh, country between India and China. Uh, these are Buddhist people, again, 0% Christian. A small group, 35,000, but they still need to be reached. And then the next one, we have the Badhai people, uh, the Muslim Badhai people of Pakistan, 74,000, uh, 0% Christian. And then next we have the Sha'ik people in Bangladesh, this is a huge people group. It's probably the largest unreached people group in the world. It actually can be subdivided into smaller groups. But 126 mil million people, again, 0% Christian. So it shows you the need 
that you know, these people really need to be reached. Now, a couple of things that you may notice about these. For one thing, how many of you have heard of any of these people groups before? Raise your hand. Okay. You know, that's probably partly why they aren't reached. We don't know about them. We haven't heard of them. And so we're unfamiliar with, with these people groups. And then another is that almost all of them, there are no believers, no Christians among them, 0%. And so that just shows the huge need among them. Now we might ask, why? Why have they not been reached? Well, there are the kind of obvious barriers that prevent people from, be, from hearing the gospel or receiving it. There's geography, how do you get to those people? There's language barriers, culture, uh, of course, political boundaries, religious and spiritual factors, and also hostility. A lot of these people groups are hostile to the Christian faith, or maybe hostile to Western people, and they associate Christianity with Westerners, and so there's, there's that hostility there. But there's not only those barriers in those people, but there are also barriers among us, God's people, you know, that keep us from bringing the gospel to them. As I said, we, we might just not be aware of them. Uh, we might be more concerned about needs around us. And of course, we all know people around us that are not believers. They need to be reached too. We don't, don't want to neglect them. Yes, let's be sure to reach them as well. We also may feel inadequate. We may think, I don't, how can I go out and reach those unreached people? There often also is, is fear. There's racism that stops us. Uh, we might be very satisfied with our life as it is now and, and not really want to make changes and, and put a priority on reaching those people. And of course, God does not call every Christian to go and reach these unreached people groups. But we all have a role, uh, and I'll get to that a little bit later. We all have a role in doing that. So kind of to sum up, why have these people not been reached? Well, they're very hard to reach. They're not low-hanging fruit that are easy to harvest, and maybe they don't even seem ready for harvest yet. And also, the traditional methods of missions uh, have often not been very effective among these people groups. They're isolated, they're far from Christians and churches, and so they're very hard to reach. Now, this evening, we're going to talk a little bit about some newer approaches, newer strategies for reaching these people. How can these people be reached? Who can reach out uh, and, and, and reach these people. So tonight, I hope you'll come. We'll, we'll have some interaction. Uh, we'll have some time for question and answer. And it, it goes both ways. It's not only you asking me, but I'll be asking you some questions too. But don't let that uh, uh, stress you out. But just be com come tonight and we'll, we'll have some good interaction. Um, but I want us to to pause here and, and think about how serious this is. You know, we're not just talking about sheep and coins here. We're talking about lost people, lost sons, lost daughters. They need the good news. There, there is no other way of salvation except through Jesus Christ. And so they need Christ now for their lives here and now. And of course, they need him for eternity. There's no salvation outside of him. So, you know, we're, this is serious business here. And, and maybe we need to think once again, are we really convinced that Jesus is the only way and that people really need him? Uh, and if, if we believe that, then we've got to do something about it. We've got to be involved in reaching these unreached people groups. 
But now, this, this presents kind of a dilemma for, for, for me, for, for Bessie and myself, especially a few years ago, we were in Beijing in China, which is more of an unreached, it's, it's not totally unreached, but there, there's a lot of unreached people in, in China. We were serving with our mission there. And then we were asked by our mission to go back to the Philippines and for me to teach in a seminary there. And I began to think, well, you know, the Philippines is, is relatively reached. There are a lot of Christians there. There are a few unreached people groups in the Philippines, especially among the Muslim people. But by and large, Filipinos have lots of opportunity to hear the gospel. There's a lot of churches, lots of Christians, lots of evangelists. Now, there's still a need there, too, but... I began to think, shouldn't we prioritize the unreached, uh, like in China and in other countries? But what kind of tipped the scale for me was realizing, well, if I'm going to go and teach missions in a seminary in the Philippines, I can be used by God to train Filipinos and, and other missionaries, other people from other countries in Asia to go out, and perhaps they can be more effective in reaching these unreached people groups. And actually, I want to back up and tell you, there's, you know, in mission statistics, about 85% of missionaries are actually working on, with people that are relatively reached already. Only about 15% are really focused on those unreached people groups. And so we really need to, to change that and see more missionaries go to the unreached. And so it was uh, really a great joy for me to be doing that at Asian Theological Seminary in, in Manila, uh, teaching in the Intercultural and Urban Studies Department, or Missions Department, at the seminary. So over the past seven years, that's what I have been focusing on. And so we, we especially focus our teaching on unreached people groups. We, we encourage the students to really think, you know, how can we be reaching the unreached? Um, we encourage them to, uh, you know, they, they not only take a, a missions course, they take world religions, they, they take cultural anthropology so they knew, know how to understand these people in their culture and, and adapt the, the message of the gospel toward that culture. Uh, in, in our seminary, we have concentrations where students can choose uh, missions, pastoral uh, care, uh, counseling, biblical uh, theology, and so on. And so we have about 220 students usually, and about 20, I would say 15 to 20, sometimes more, are missions in, in my department, the Intercultural and Urban Studies or missions. And so we really have to see them develop. Now, not all of them go out to other countries, but some of them go to other parts of the Philippines, but there are a number that are actually going out and going to unreached people groups. So that is really satisfying to see that God is working in that way. And they learn a particular approach to developing a strategy. It's kind of like a cycle uh, you'll see on, the, on this slide. Maybe you can't read the small print there, but it's, it's a way of a process of thinking, who are these people? Uh, what are they like? How can we really reach out to them? What kind of a strategy do we need to develop? Because every people group is unique, and so we need to develop unique strategies for reaching them. And so our students are learning that and, and putting it into practice. A part of their training also is, is a required internship. They have to go to a, a, a cross-cultural setting, some within the Philippines, 
more of them outside the Philippines in countries like Cambodia, uh, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, India, and so on. And so Bessie and I had the privilege of joining a, a team, an internship team that went to Cambodia a few years ago. Uh, in this picture, we were praying together. We were in a church, and uh, we had to all take off our socks and shoes. And so we took this picture and reminded us that, yeah, the, 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 the feet of those who bring the gospel are beautiful. And so that's a big part of it. The, these uh, these uh, trips where they, they go on short-term missions are really eye-openers for our students, and they get excited and really want to be a part of missions. Now, another thing that Bessie and I have been doing at the, at the seminary is uh, being chaplains to the international students. And this is another way that God can can use us and use these students because many of them do come from uh, unreached nations and people groups. And so as they finish their studies and go back uh, to India or Cambodia uh, and other countries, that they can be used of God also even to reach some of the unreached pe people groups. One of the things that Bessie and I have been focused on uh, the last couple of years especially is training uh, leaders in the Christian Reformed Church in the Philippines in coffee break ministries. And so we've been training a lot of small group uh, leaders to lead small group Bible studies. I think many of you may be familiar with coffee break. Uh, I think here in the U.S. it's mostly with women, but in the Philippines we're not telling them that. We're <laughs> encouraging them to do it with everybody, women, men, uh, young people, and so on. And so, uh, yeah, we got this started just before the pandemic set in and the, uh, the lock-ins, you know, and so we had one workshop face-to-face, -face, and then we had to keep doing it by Zoom. And luckily, fortunately, the, the people learned how to use Zoom, and we had, did lots of training by Zoom to the point where we actually, uh, there have been 165 or more leaders trained to lead small group Bible studies. Now, not all of them are actually doing it, so you can pray for that. Uh, so there need to be steps taken to encourage them and help them actually get started in leading the coffee break Bible studies, but it's getting going. Now, what, this, what we see this, uh, this doing is that, in a sense, by this, we're strengthening the Christian Reformed Church in the Philippines to reach out where they are, reach out to their neighbors through coffee break Bible studies, and also be strengthened that they too can become a missionary sending denomination that sends people out even to reach the unreached people groups. We had a milestone last uh, September when uh, three of our pastors there completed their training to become trainers. You see, we're always working ourselves out of a job so that not we don't have to do all the training anymore. We've got three certified trainers that can continue that ministry of training small group leaders, and so we're really happy about that. We also keep coordinating with Coffee Break here in the U.S., Global Coffee Break, and they've helped us. They did a, a follow-up training with our small group leaders uh, called Putting the Pieces Together, and so that training uh, keeps going on, and more and more are getting that training. And so, thinking about the Philippines, the Philippines is still a harvest field for evangelism, where people can be reached, people are open to the gospel, and a, a missionary sending country, the mission movement growing 
from the Philippines reaching out to other countries. And, and in many ways, Filipinos uh, can reach people that we Westerners would have a very hard time reaching. They can get in, they can be used of God uh, to reach those people. And so we really praise God for that. So now, as, uh, as Don mentioned earlier, I'm serving as missionary in residence at Calvin Seminary. And through this, trying to stir up mission interest uh, at the seminary, uh, there's a lot of interest now in, in, in church planting within the U.S. and Canada, uh, doing evangelism and outreach, which is, is very important. But we need to have stronger interest in actually going far also, in, in, in uh, going to other countries. And so I'm hoping that through my teaching and interaction with people there, uh, that this mission vision is getting stirred up and that we too can send uh, more missionaries. You know, it really takes the whole church uh, to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. We're, we all need to be involved. And, and think about, you know, what is my role? How can God use me? We all ha may have different roles. There are some who, who go as missionaries, and I, I hope you will think about that, especially those who, who are younger. Think, how can God use me? Uh, in going perhaps to another part of the world, to a different culture, and bringing the good news. Uh, it's a real privilege to do that. Not all of us can be goers. We need people praying, uh, praying for those missions. That's a huge part of it. We need people that are sending, like you have sent us, and, and supporting this work. We need people who are training others to go out, as, as I've been doing uh, in, in the seminary in the Philippines. We need people who will mobilize, who will make the way for them to go and be used of God. So we all have a role, and so we need to ask, how has God gifted me? Uh, what is my role? And, and again, ask that question, how crazy are we, like God, to really reach out to the lost? Do we, are we concerned enough that we will learn about them, that we will uh, become aware and that will become involved with however God gifts, gifts us. Now, I want to give a little preview for this evening. We're going to talk about pancakes and waffles. I, I don't think we're going to be eating them, but, um, but we'll see. What, is, what do pancakes and waffles have to do with missions? We'll see that tonight, and I think we'll have uh, an interesting time together, so I really hope that you'll return this evening. But let's really be asking God. Yeah, you know, God is like that crazy shepherd, like the funny woman, like that father who is willing to get disgraced to save and welcome back his son. That's how God is, and God wants us to be his representatives, his agents, especially in reaching the lostest of the lost. Let's pray. Lord God, we're amazed that you would use us to be your messengers of the gospel. We often feel so inadequate, so frail, and so tainted by sin, selfishness, Lord, that we, we feel incapable to be your messengers. And yet, you take us, you clean us up, and you uh, transform us, you empower us by your spirit, and, and you use us as your instruments in this world. Lord, we pray that we'll never lose sight of the people right around us that need the good news. Uh, Lord, uh, open up their hearts and, and open up our mouths and our lives to 
befriend those people and to share the good news with them. And Lord, we pray that you'll use, use us, use Faith CRC and, and uh, everyone here in some way for even reaching the people who have never been reached with the gospel. Lord, we pray for those people and pray for the ways and means that the, the barriers will be overcome and that bridges will be built to uh, enable the gospel to reach them, O oh Lord, and that they may hear and, and understand, believe, and, and receive your saving grace and your transforming power. We commit this unto you in Jesus' name. Amen.